The government has screwed up. There are way too many people coming into Australia right now for the amount of houses we have now and into the future with the current build rate. If you are a renter, unfortunately, rents are going to continue to rise. If you don't own your own home and you want to buy, unfortunately, prices are going to keep getting away and away from you. In this episode, I'll take you through the math, how many people coming in, how many houses need to be built, how many are being built state by state. And at the end, stick around because I'll be taking you through which states are the best to invest in from an investment perspective where prices will rise the most is it sydney new south wales or is it perth wa a lot of different states covered but we'll focus on these welcome to the oz property investment mastery podcast my name is pk and i help busy people build passive income by buying top five percent growth and cash flow property and build a portfolio using data without wasting months doing research, spending weekends at inspection or catching flights, or dropping ten to twenty thousand dollars on buyers agents every single time. So if you're confused, lack confidence, and just overwhelmed with all the information and marketing misinformation available online and don't know where to start, then this show is for you. Now credit to Matusik, credit where credit is due. This is his chart based on the Australian Bureau of Statistics and based on the official government treasury. What it's saying is projected annual population growth in 2024 will be 450,000 people. Now this is down from 2023 where there is expected to be half a million new people coming into Australia. And yes, it goes down to about 400K for every year thereafter for the next 10 years. But just, I mean, just look at it. 2024 to 2026, that's another million people in Australia. 2026 to 2029, another million. 2030 to 2032, another million. So just over this period, the next nine years, we're getting like another three to four million people in Australia. Now look at the supply status of Australia. It's It's just falling off a cliff, guys. Annual dwelling completions, yep, they were pretty high in 2017. That was the highest we got. And then down, 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 even despite all of the home grants and the construction grants that the federal government gave during COVID to boost the construction industry, despite that, it's still down, down, down. And you might think, well, it's still higher than like back in 2009, right? It's still higher than 2013. But guys, back then we had like 200,000 new immigrants a year, okay? There's no comparison. And it's not just new houses that aren't being built fast enough. It's also the current amount of listings, okay? So the five-year average last five years of the amount of listings for sale houses, established houses inclusive in Australia is this red line, okay, from January all the way to December. This is prop track data, which is part of realestate.com.au group. And you can see in 2022, this line, this blue line was well below the five-year average. And in 2023, right now, this green line is basically the same as last year. So we're so far below long-term averages, despite what people say with the mortgage cliff coming. Well, no one's really having to sell. Distress sales are down. I've shared that with you in so many different videos before. So no one's having to really, in a big number, sell because of mortgage stress. And there's just hardly anything decent for sale. Now, this is where rubber hits the road. Let's go state by state. Once again, from Matu 
too sick. In New South Wales, the 2023 projected new dwelling completions is 47,000. The annual housing demand is 75,000. That is a shortfall of 28,000 homes or 37% in Victoria. New completions projected for this year, 23, 59,000. Demand is 84,000. And so the difference is 25,000 or 30%. Not as bad as New South Wales, but still pretty bad. Queensland, 33,000 new homes. Annual housing demand, 60,000. Difference is 27,000 or 45%. Okay, this is the worst so far. South Australia, 12,000 is the new completions. Demand is 14,000. Therefore, the difference is, even in relative terms, not so bad, 16% or 2,000. Okay, relatively speaking, not so much of an issue anymore. Western Australia, this is, this is the one that's real chronic. Okay, 14,000 new dwelling completions. The demand, 31,000. Difference is 16,000 or 53%. Okay. For every two houses that are needed, only one is being built. That is the magnitude of the problem in WA, mostly in Perth. Tasmania, 3,000 is the housing completions or supply demand, 3,300. So 10% down, you know, pretty bad, but nowhere near as bad as anyone above. Northern Territory, 550 is the supply Demand is 1,800, so, I mean, this is huge, okay? 1,250 is the shortfall, or 69%. But be careful, these percentages blow out when you don't take large sample sizes into account. So Northern Territory dwelling completions is only 550. Compare that to like New South Wales, which is 47,000. So this can easily turn around. Yes, based on this, Northern Territory is probably likely to have pretty big price rises in the next one or two or three years. But if they turn around this supply story, they can do so very quickly. They just need another thousand homes, right? And then all of a sudden, there's no imbalance between supply demand. So you need to not just look at the percentages, but the quantum or how much deep statistical reliability there is in the data. And ACT 5,700 is the supply, demand is 5,100, so 11%, too many homes. So, you know, if you ask me and if you're a vetting man, I would say don't put your money in ACT right now for an investment purpose. So if you're an investor, you're like, okay, if I want to build a retirement from my family, I want to build passive income, I want to acquire a nest egg of properties that allow me to retire early, where should you invest? According to this, you should invest in either Queensland or WA. But everyone thinks WA is a big risk, right? Let's explore that further with two more charts. Here's the first one, Sydney versus Perth. Now this is just data from CoreLogic. It can't be argued with. Let's see the pros and cons of Sydney versus Perth investment, especially if you're in Sydney. I want you to pay special attention to this. Median dwelling value, okay, Sydney's almost double, okay, so it's really, really hard to even buy an investment property in Sydney. In Perth, it's still very affordable. Monthly change in value, Sydney is growing faster. I need to paint a impartial picture of both areas. Sydney's growing faster. Perth, however, is still growing. But what does this hide? What is going on in Sydney is that expensive properties that have fallen the most in 2022, those are the ones growing the fastest. It's not the affordable properties that are growing. So right now, if you're trying to buy something under a million dollars, those types of properties in Sydney are not even growing as fast as 0.9%. And in fact, the opposite can be said in Perth. Those expensive 
close to the CBD properties in Perth right now, in some respects are falling, in some respects are going sideways, but those that are under five, under six, under 700K, those are the ones growing by double digit, okay? So these top level statistics sometimes hide the reality. Quarterly change in values, similar dynamic is what I've just explained. Annual change in values, now this is where you start to see why Sydney at the top end is growing a little bit faster, it's because it fell in the last year, whereas Perth didn't, it was more stable. Median dwelling rent, Sydney rents, yes, they're more expensive than Perth, okay, let's say 600 in Perth, 733 in Sydney, but that just means that the yields are so terrible, and we'll get to that in a second. Vacancy rates, much higher in Sydney, this can't be ignored. Annual change in rent, okay, rents have been growing much more swiftly in Perth, 13.4% versus 12.9%, gross rental yield, now here's the kicker, 3.5%, if you buy anything in Sydney right now, let's say it's a million bucks, 1.5 million, 2 million, even 700,000, you are having to fork out ten to twenty thousand dollars minimum per year just to hold that property after all income and all costs have been accounted for. It's hugely negatively geared. That is not a good thing, by the way, regardless of what some accountants will say. It's never a good idea to lose a dollar to get 50 cents back in tax. Like, the math doesn't add up. Whereas in Perth, and this is just average, 5.3. This is not positive cash flow, don't get me wrong, but you can get properties in Perth that are 6%, 7%, and those are more almost paying for themselves, if not paying for themselves. So you've got to ask yourself as an investor, do I want to buy a business, i.e. a property, which is a business that pays for itself, or one that loses money? Do I want to buy an investment which hampers my future ability to borrow and expand my portfolio, like it will in Sydney? Or do I want to buy something that allows me to continue to build my property portfolio? Dwelling value to income ratio, okay? How much is the property price worth versus the average household income? In Sydney, no surprises, 8.8 .8 times the average household income and in Perth, 5.5% times. So affordability lies in Perth. That doesn't mean everyone is automatically should buy in Perth because affordable areas go up the most. No, Brisbane was affordable for a decade, 2010 to 2020, and did nothing. Whereas Sydney and Melbourne did everything, Hobart, etc. But affordability creates a fertile ground on which if you throw and you have the right ingredients, the right building approval, supply story, population, etc., etc., then over the long term, that fertile soil, it can harvest and nourish those seeds of economic prosperity, which then blooms and sprouts new shoots of property price growth. Okay, so affordability is not something to be ignored. And percent of income required to service a loan. So this is just how much can how easily can I make my monthly repayments? And in Sydney, the sad reality is that 50% of your household income is going to your mortgage, whereas in Perth, it's 30%. And you know, lots of migrants, clearly, as I showed, almost half a million of them every year coming into Australia, they come to Sydney and Melbourne. There's no doubt about it. But what happens after one or two or three years of renting, especially in the last two or three years, is they consider very seriously moving to those areas where they can actually afford to live because as a new migrant this percentage is not 50 it's like 60 70 80 and guess what 
Perth gets a disproportionately higher amount of these migrants who have rented for the first two or three years now want to buy a house and say, Sydney, Melbourne, I just can't do it. And this is what's reflected here, annual population growth. So I know so many of you, if not all of you might think, Sydney, Melbourne, these are the areas to some extent, Brisbane, that get the biggest population growth, right? And that is true. They get the biggest absolute amounts of population growth. Those half million people coming into Australia, the majority of them land in Sydney and Melbourne. But as a percentage, there's way more that arrive in Perth and stay in Perth. And it's percentages, relativity, that creates pressure in the property markets, that creates an imbalance between demand and supply. In Perth, there is way more people coming in relative to the existing inventory stock of houses in Perth. And that is what creates the pressure. Money is made in this world by understanding relativities. But you're obviously saying to yourself, look, I get that PK and you don't have to spruik me like I get the merits of Perth. And by the way, I'm not trying to spruik you anything. Go ahead and buy in Sydney if you want. I'm just trying to educate you as best I can. But you're telling yourself, didn't Perth have like this huge bust? Is it reliable? It's had a really terrible history of property price stagnation over the last 10 years. I don't want to take that risk. I just don't want to put that on my family. Let's have a real look at a rolling annual change in dwelling values in Perth versus Sydney. Once again, core logic data. So what I want you to understand with a cool head is Perth is in the red and Sydney is in the blue. Now, in the red, there is no doubt that there was a huge boom around 2005 to 2007 and then a huge bust. Perth prices came down big time, around 11%. Okay, there is no doubt about that. And then it went up and then it came down again. And then it went up in 2013. And that's when it really came down, not by a significant margin, by about 5%, according to rolling average uh, figures citywide. And then it just kind of stayed there till about, 2019, 2020. So this is really where that stigma comes from since about 2014, 15 for the next five, six years, it did nothing. And that, that's kind of like why people base their horror stories in Perth on that. Now let's look at Sydney. Now I want you to understand Sydney actually has fallen at its lowest level by a bigger proportion than Perth. 13.8% fall in Sydney in 2022, according to annual rolling average data by CoreLogic versus Perth's biggest one was 11. So the more downside risk, the biggest volatility has been in Sydney. Now, Sydney's never grown as fast as Perth. Sydney peak growth rate, and this was COVID-induced boom, 25%, whereas Perth, mining-induced boom, 41%. Okay, so Sydney hasn't grown at its peak as much as Perth since 1993. However, it's fallen far more than Perth. Let's have a look at the number of times Perth has fallen more than 5% in a year. Okay, so that's one huge here, 2009, that's one here in around 2012, and then another one here around 2015, and then potentially another one here around 2018, 19. So that's like four times. Let's have a look at how many times Sydney has fallen more than 5% in a year. There's one around 2005, that's 5.8% fall. There's another at the same time that 
Perth had its record biggest fall in around the GFC, 6.1%. There's another one here in 2000 and around 18, 19, 10%. And there's another one post-COVID boom of 13.4%. So Sydney has also fallen in the last 30 years by more than 5% four times, the same as Perth. So if you look at this chart, you can't really conclude decisively that Perth is a riskier place to invest than Sydney. There's so much conjecture out there, but I don't really care about my opinion, nor should you. What we should both concentrate is on data. And looking at this, it looks like Perth is not only more affordable, has not only got a higher cash flow, more capital growth potential, but it's just as stable as Sydney. But you should do what you want to do. I want you to invest in yourself, the six inches between your two ears, so no one like me can tell you what to do. You should take control of your own financial destiny. To do that and really level up, I'll leave links below to my podcast, free Australian Property Mastery with PK on Spotify, Google, and iTunes, and also my Facebook group with more than 40,000 people, Australian Property Mastery with PK, amazing, successful people. And a lot of people were like, oh, I don't want never buy in Perth. A lot of people, I'll never buy in Sydney. And through constructive discussion, we can understand and make solid decisions. See you next time.